This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode 43. Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. This is Gilbert Joy, your host. Today, we have David Meltzer on the show. David is the current CEO of Sports One Marketing a marketing agency that he co-founded with Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. As executive producer and main judge of Entrepreneur's Elevator Pitch, David provides constructive insight for thousands of businesses each year to help them focus on their company growth. David is recognized as one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 business coaches in the world. He's also chairman of Unstoppable Foundation, and Variety Sports Humanitarian of the Year. His passion and drive for success is shared through his two number one national and international best-selling novels, Connected to Goodness and Compassionate Capitalism. Within his top five podcast series, The Playbook, he depicts the key principles to expanding your own potential in both business and life. Today we'll be talking about the pursuit of potential, namely living on your edge. We'll talk about his four principles for a value-based business and a value-based life. We also go into the daily habits that he has and how the ego tends to sabotage us on our way to the top. We'll even talk about the experiences that put him over the edge and leading up to him losing $100 million but bouncing right back. And finally, his mom's wisest piece of advice that we can all take and use in our life. Join me in welcoming David Meltzer. Hello everyone, welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. I'm here with David Meltzer. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, man. I'm living on the edge. So this is a perfect show for me. <laughs> so um, why don't you share a bit about, um, you know, what does living on your edge mean for you then? Yeah, living on the edge for me is the enjoyment every day, consistently, without quit, persistently, the pursuit of my potential and knowing, most importantly, what that potential is. What are my uh, objectives are for each day? And that's for me, I'm living on the edge between the learning zone and the anxiety zone. I'm living on the edge of expansion. I'm living on the edge of exponential growth. That's what living on the edge means to me. Awesome. Thanks for your, thanks for sharing uh, what it means uh, for you. And um, you know, as the CEO of uh, Sports One Marketing, and you've created a platform uh, where you know you use um, your four uh, principles of gratitude, empathy accountability and effective communication. So why don't you share with us, us a bit more about the role that those play in your work and in your life? Yeah, they play into everything. I actually have a you know value-based business and a value-based life. So it allows me to make decisions quickly. Uh, gratitude, number one, gives me perspective. It makes my past great, my present better, and my future brighter. Empathy or forgiveness allows me to live at peace. Uh, very simply, I have to just forgive myself, know that life is about lessons, and the more lessons that I learn, the better it is, and 
I'm gonna keep on learning the same lessons until I learn them and it'll result in pain if I don't learn them. So forgiveness and empathy are critical in order to live at peace and to expand and to appreciate the lessons that we're learning and uh, expand in that way, which leads to accountability, uh, which to me is the most powerful thing because it gives me complete control in my life. Control by just simply asking two questions. Number one, what did I do to attract this to myself, no matter what it is? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? Once again, tying in the lessons of gratitude and for Finally, understanding effective communication. How am I clearing the connection to that which inspires me? How am I getting rid of the interference, the corrosion, the most powerful source of energy, light, and information that I have? And moreover, how am I allowing it to come through me? with gratitude, with forgiveness, with accountability, and clearing the connection between me and others, the strength of my signal, the spectrum of my signal, the clarity of my message. How am I getting rid of that interference or corrosion? And so that's what effective communication is. And if you could teach people in your personal and professional life to live with gratitude, forgiveness, empathy, accountability, and of course, effective communication and live inspired lives, we would expand and accelerate at a growth and potential that we've never seen before. And most importantly, people would just be happy. Mm. So how can we begin to start uh, living with these four principles? What are some of the habits, you know, daily practices that we can start implementing? Well, the first is to say thank you, right? So I always tell people, you want to change your life say thank you before you go to bed and thank you when you wake up if you want to say it think it it's the best point one seconds that you can put into your life and then practice any fear in your life by practicing forgiving yourself every time that you become aware that you have an ego-based need a need to be right a need to be offended a need to be separate a need to be inferior a need to be superior a need to be anxious you need to be frustrated you need to be angry all those different things that the ego does and learn and practice getting back to center and being happy uh, those are great things you can do to practice uh, the, you know, the gratitude and the forgiveness, the accountability, simply teaching yourself to ask those two critical questions. And then that will help you understand the difference between having corrosion and interference to the connection of inspiration and the direct result of how strong is your signal in helping other people, how wide is your spectrum, the different types of people, and most importantly, how clear is that message in order to inspire others. And when you put that all together with the practice of what we just talked about, you can achieve so, so much by making a lot of money, helping a lot of people, and having a lot of fun. Which is um, these three things you just shared, um, is uh, making a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun is uh, pretty much your, your mission, correct? Right, that's my mission statement. We've trademarked it, and uh, I think everyone, it's simply, you know, it took me years and years to simplify what I think most people want out of their work or activity they get paid for. They want to make as much money as they can, they want to help as many people as they can, and they want to enjoy it and have fun. So, uh, how first of all, how do you come up with this mission? Uh, that's a great question. I, you know, like any great salesman, I had a really long mission statement. It was like, I coalesced the vapors of human existence to create a viable and logical conclusion by leveraging relationship capital and situational knowledge in order to extrapolate a quantitative value and result. Something along those lines. And, uh, <laughs> I, took, I took that uh, BS uh, into my business partner, the Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon, and he broke it down. He said, what's this part mean? And I'm like, that means I want to make a lot of money. He goes, oh, what's this part mean? And I go, that means I want to help a lot of people. He goes, what about this part? I go, I want to have a lot of fun. He goes, why don't we just say that? <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I see. That's why, that's why I call him QB1 Kenobi. QB1 Kenobi. So he keeps you... Uh, He's wise beyond his years. Got it. And what was the... What was one of the you know, biggest uh, impacts that mission has made um, on your business, on your life, you know, just following that? that. You know, we have so much uh, deal flow in the world, and especially nowadays, there's so much data and communication and opportunity. You know, you have the opportunity to reach 4.2 billion people. You can have an interview, you know, sitting here in California in Shanghai, real time, color for free. This is amazing. Well, you know, the clarity of of being able to qualify things quickly and come to a decision and say, literally with a long list, which one of these makes the most money, helps the most people, and we're gonna have the most fun with. And that's literally the qualification lens in which we utilize to pick the best business partners, to pick the best business, to pick the best opportunities. Uh, and it makes things very efficient, but it also gives us great clarity. So usually in, um, of course, in, in hindsight, we can see like, whether our decisions um, really panned out. But um, let's say you're given a decision today and you know you're working with limited information How and, you, and you're using this, um, you know, this mission, this, these three things. How would you evaluate that and gain that sort of clarity that you mentioned? Well, I go by and subscribe to a philosophy of being more interested than interesting. Okay. So I have five things that I look for. Number one, the credibility of the information that I have to the emotional attachment that I have so I can extract that from my analysis. So, you know, some things or certain things we can be totally emotionally tied to, uh, and that's going to create interference or corrosion to the connection that gives us great clarity. But most importantly, I do the math. I'm very quantitative in my analysis. I believe that everything has subjective value and that I can get subjective value from anything. So I look at the quantitative reasons and I do a math analysis that I should do this. I look at the quantitative impact that it's gonna have on others you know, to help them. And I look at the quantitative capabilities that I have, want, or need, or the counterparts or the associates that I'm working with have, want, or need in order to effectuate the 120 rule where we're providing $100 worth of value and asking for 20 back. If I can't answer the question, can you see any reason why you won't wanna move forward, then I don't wanna move forward. Mm, so it's at least um, you're delivering at least five times the value that uh, that you're you're asking uh, for in in monetary value. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and how how would you sort of define the success? You no, know, from business. Yeah, yeah. For for me, success in business is staying in business, right? Okay. So I don't attach my emotions to an end. Uh, I always, every day, make sure and guarantee that I'm going to be in business tomorrow. Uh, that's my success. My success is maximizing the activity I get paid for, minimizing the activity I don't get paid for. I look at my life in the lens of productivity, how much value am I providing to others, as well as a lens of accessibility, meaning how accessible am I to others to be of service, and how am I accessing what I want? Am I asking and then receiving enough to allow it to come through me with appreciation, meaning with gratitude, empathy, accountability, and inspiration. Am I allowing things to come through me for the benefit of others? And if I look at life in that lens of productivity and accessibility, and I stay in business every day, and I'm happy every day doing that, enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, I see myself as a great success.
Mm, okay. And do you have like a, a particular story in mind you have where, um, you know, you, you weren't expecting anything when you were giving uh, in that moment, but then uh, somehow down the road, it, w- it turned into something that, uh, you know, was a gain for your, for your business? Yeah. So for me, um, I was asked to do the pilot for Elevator Pitch, Entrepreneur's Elevator Pitch. Mm-hmm. And there was multiple egos involved from the producer, the director, the sponsors, entrepreneur, a variety of other things. And abundantly, I came in and uh, continually just tried to help entrepreneurs. That was my goal. I wanted as many people to understand how do you do a pitch? How do you stimulate interest, transition interest, share a vision, manage and develop a vision? What's the best way to raise money and build companies? You know, I'm junior achievement, uh, chief chancellor of junior achievement university. The show was aligned with that. And I went in with a big heart and an open mind to help everybody, not only myself, effectuate helping other people. And now, you know, we just got extended out three more seasons. We launched season number five, season number six is filming in April. It's the number one digital business show. Uh, it's an incredible, uh, pitch show that really is helping a lot of entrepreneurs and raising a lot of money for those entrepreneurs. So, uh, I went into that one with humanitarian philanthropic uh, intent, and it ended up being a great economic success and a great business success for my brand as well. Mm, okay, okay. So, you know, you were again, you weren't expecting anything, but then uh, it turned out to be, uh, it, it, you know. Yeah, let me share. Like, you know, you live on the edge. Uh, yeah. It takes faith. Faith is the aggregate of what we think, say, do, and believe, and even the unconscious competencies of our personality traits are characteristics of addictions, those types of things that we utilize. And when you live on the edge, what you need to do is you need to have faith in what you want, not what other people want for you, but you got to vote every day, vote, 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 vote for what you want. You create a void and allow the universe to fill that void without expectation. So mm-hmm. a lot of you know, living on the edge is living with faith that if I do the right things, if I'm doing the right things when nobody's watching, if I'm creating and giving value with no intent, no manipulation, no overselling, back-end selling, lying, or cheating. If I'm just abundantly trying to provide value, and if I ask for what I want, the universe will give me what I want rapidly and accurately. I'll create the void first instead of trying to take it. Mm, okay. Which brings me to the next question, which is, uh, what is your, you know, your biggest daily habit that's contributing, contributed to you manifesting um, the life that you, you want? And the life that you, you live. Believe it or not, the greatest habit that I have is the habit machine that I created. So the habit of creating habits. And that's number one, starting the day at the highest frequency. So I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning, setting the bar at the highest frequency, creating that uh, baseline for the day to know when I'm in ego-based consciousness. So I think the greatest habit I have is understanding that there's one activity and that activity is to find my highest self my greatest potential, my highest frequency. So the habit of finding that first in the day and then understanding everything else to that is just a reaction to try to get to that exact point or higher. Mm, so it can be, it can start as a form of meditation. It could be exercise or making your bed and things like Whatever that. I want to be at the highest frequency, correct? Okay, got it. And um, if you had to live your life again, what, what would you not change? And what will you do differently? The one thing I would do differently, because um, I really, w- you know, I, I wouldn't want to change anything other than 
I would love to have lessened of radical humility at a younger age. Uh, mm. You know, it, the lessons of the ego have been extremely painful and expensive living with the needs of the ego. And, you know, if I could uh, go back and change one thing, it'd be to live with radical humility and to start this journey a lot sooner uh, than when I did, although I'm blessed to have started the humble journey that I have and to be of gratitude, empathy, accountability, and inspiration. But radical humility would be the only change uh, that I would make in my life. So what was that experience for you that really kind of put you over the, you know, yeah, the edge there? For me, it was three things. Uh, you know, as I was extremely wealthy, uh, millionaire nine months out of law school, multimillionaire in my early 30s, I became quite uh, self-absorbed, narcissistic, and you know, very, very self-centered in the ego-based consciousness. And mm -hmm. three things changed me from that. Number one, my father, who uh, I wasn't very close to because he had uh, left when I was five and was my hero, but he forgot my birthday when I was 10. So at mm -hmm. 30, he remembered my birthday by giving me a jacket with no pockets and telling me that it wasn't for wearing, that it was to remind him that I was just like him, to remind me that I was not going to be the richest man in the cemetery to remind me I could not take anything with me when I'm gone. My dad begged and pleaded and sent me this token of a Trojan horse to change my life into humility that he didn't possess, but wanted me to possess from the mistakes that he had made. The second was my best friend who actually uh, went to the fourth grade with me and my current wife and was the boy at sixth grade as a favor to me to ask my wife to go steady at the sixth grade camp and in front of everyone, she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. Uh, and so he made fun of me, which then made me throw an egg at my wife. But this oh. best friend of mine had stuck with me my entire life until eventually he didn't hang out with me anymore. And I asked him, why don't you hang out with me? And he said, because I don't like who you hang out with. And I told him, well, I'm not like those guys. I don't do what they do. I don't go where they go. I'm not like them. He said, look, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. Uh, oh. That really rocked me. And then right after that, my wife, who I adore, love, and cherish, the biggest savior of my life, who is still today uh, the most extraordinary person I've ever met, uh, she told me she wasn't happy and that I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become or she would leave me. And so those three things together changed my life. And uh, I found humility. I found the truth. And I have pursued it for the last 11 years. And, uh, you know, have that was two years before I lost over $100 million. And uh, I always say yeah. and those were the things that prepared me so I could go bankrupt and I could be ready to redeem myself with humility, with abundance, philanthropy, humanitarian efforts and still make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's a very great sharing. Um, I mean, those three people pr pretty much um, shaped who you are, would you say? Yeah, I think uh, other than that, my mom, just my entire life, I grew up yeah. with an extraordinary mom, single mom, raised six kids, uh, worked two jobs, you know, teacher in the day, packed our dinner in a station wagon, and then she filled up turnstiles at the 7-Eleven with greeting cards. And education was infused and enforced upon us. The doctor, lawyer, failure mentality. She used Jewish guilt in waking us early, up early as parenting tools. But I think <laughs> anyone in my life, my mom shaped who I am and taught me 
about work ethic, talk to me about integrity, talk to me about giving, and uh, you know, re really has had an extraordinary impact, not only just on my life, but my siblings who are extremely happy and successful and healthy, and all the kids that she has taught. I'm still amazed when I run into, I just was on an executive coaching call with a client who was in my mom's fourth grade class who still gets wow. choked up talking about my mom and telling me how my mom uh, changed his life and was the best teacher she's ever had. I said, you know, that was the fourth grade, man. There's a lot that's gone on since then. He goes, I don't care. That's how awesome your mom is. And I said, you know what? I, I agree. Wow. Wow. And what was the wisest piece of advice she gave you? You know, my mom's best piece of advice was to be kind, not right. Uh, you know, my mom was just uh, a kind person and uh, she didn't have to be right. And I always had to be right. So her best piece of advice that I didn't listen to, I got older was it's better to be kind than right. Mm, got it. And finishing off this episode, what would an example be of um, you know, being kind instead of trying to be right? <laughs> it happens every day. <laughs> um, you, know, I, you know, just recently, uh, I was um, in uh, my daughter, who's a, a freshman in college, and, uh, you know, she's uh, having challenges in her freshman year and, hmm. uh, you know, telling me, you know, she's not going to do well. Meanwhile, she has straight A's now, but telling me that she wanted to come home telling me, you know, all the things that were bad about where she was and why. And I've been to freshman in college. I've had my older daughter go through the same thing. And, and I so wanted to just be right, you know, and wanted to tell her, you know, tell her what, what she should be feeling and, you know, all the things that I know will evolve for her. But instead of, you know, creating animosity and frustration and probably more of uh, anxiety for her, uh, I just wanted to be kind. So I told her, look, you, do what you want, right? I'm here to support you. I'm proud of you. you. You know, whatever you need from me. And if that's the way you're feeling, you're right. You're right. This is a hard place. This, you're not going to do well. You're right. And uh, <laughs> it's amazing. It, it worked, you know, it's, it's really hard for me because I have unconscious competencies, personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that tell me I need to be right. My great-grandparent, grandparent. My dad, it just runs within my genetic makeup, my quantum quantum memory, my DNA to be right. And I have to bite my tongue just to be kind and allow people to learn for themselves and to, to love themselves and to find the answers within themselves. And, you know, it does me no good to be right. It does me, especially as a father, so much good to be kind like my mom has taught me to be. So just acknowledge them um, for how they're feeling and you know, allow them to feel what they feel. Right? It's okay, if, if, it's okay if someone's wrong. You can still support them even if they're wrong. You don't have to point it out. You don't have to persecute them. You don't have to judge them, put conditions and judgments and liabilities upon them. It's okay just to be kind and say, hey, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. You know, mm -hmm. and let it go. Got it. Well, thanks for coming on the show, David. Do you have any parting advice for our listeners today? Yeah, my favorite advice always, uh, you know, is to be kind to your future self mm -hmm. by doing good deeds. So look for good deeds, hunt them out, search them out, do as many as you can. The universe will reward you. 
for doing good and being kind. So thank you so much for the time. You can reach me, David Meltzer, at David Meltzer. Go ahead, give them all my logos. I'm happy to send everybody a free book. Also, if anyone wants to text me, I have a text community. Great way to get in contact. My phone number, 949-298-2905. Go ahead and text me. If not, at David Meltzer, I will answer everything and I'm of service. So thank you so much for your time. And don't forget, it's better to live on the edge. Cheers. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks. Have a great night.